0: Heavenly Father, thank you so much for an opportunity to come together and to be your kids. Lord, to learn together, to study together, to uh, grow in our faith. I pray tonight that our understanding would be opened greatly. I pray tonight that our hearts would be challenged, our minds would be challenged, and I give you thanks for it in Jesus' precious name. And can you shout amen? Amen. Praise God. Revelation 17, verse 1. One of the seven angels who had poured out the seven bowls came over and spoke to me. Come with me, he said, and I'll show you the judgment that is going to come upon the great prostitute who rules over many waters. The kings of the world have committed adultery with her, and the people who belong to this world have been made drunk by the wine of her immorality. So the angel took me in the spirit into the wilderness. And there I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that had seven heads and ten horns, and blasphemies against God were written all over it. The woman wore purple and scarlet clothing and beautiful jewelry made of gold and precious gems and pearls, and in her hand she held a gold goblet full of obscenities and the impurities of her immorality. And a mysterious name was written on her forehead, Babylon, the great mother of all prostitutes, and obscenities in the world. I could see that she was drunk, drunk with the blood of God's holy people who were witnesses for Jesus. I stared at her in complete amazement. Why are you so amazed, the angel asked. I'll tell you the mystery of this woman and of the beast and the seven heads and 10 horns on which she sits. The beast you saw was once alive but isn't now and yet will soon come up out of the bottomless pit and go to the eternal destruction. And the people who belong to this world, whose names were not written in the book of life before the world was made, will be amazed at the reappearance of this beast who had died. This calls for a mind with understanding. The seven heads of the beast represent the seven hills where the woman rules. They also represent seven kings. Five kings have already fallen. The sixth now reigns and the seventh is yet to come, but his reign will be brief. The scarlet beast that was, but is no longer, is the eighth king. He is like the other seven. He too is headed for destruction. The ten horns of the beast are ten kings who have not yet risen to power. They will be appointed to their kingdoms for one brief moment to reign with the beast. They will all agree to give him their power and authority. Together they will go to war against the lamb. But the lamb will defeat them because he is lord of all lords and king of all kings. Come on somebody. Amen Amen. on that one. (laughs) That excites me. And... His called and chosen and faithful ones will be with him. And then the angel said to me, The waters where the prostitute is ruling represent the masses of people of every nation and language. The scarlet beast and his ten horns all hate the prostitute. They will strip her naked, eat her flesh, burn her remains with fire. For God has put a plan into their minds, a plan that will carry out his purposes. They will agree to give their authority to the scarlet beast And so the words of God will be fulfilled. And this woman you saw in your vision represents the great city that rules over the kings of the world. Can you say amen to that? Praise God. David, would you do me a favor real quickly and just turn this mic down a little bit? It's kind of humming and and ringing, so we'll we'll get that right. So it won't be quite irritating as much. Um, Today's a kind of a strange chapter because it's, it's... wrought with everybody's opinion and if you go study it you're gonna find a myriad of opinions and I want you to know that I know they're out there I'm going to give you mine and what I've studied and what I think to be uh, valid to present to you in this chapter it's a chapter about religion and politics merging together to rule the world to set up the system of Antichrist religion will be thwarted and Satan will rule the world or attempt to rule the world. That's kind of where I'm going to take you tonight to understand it in a very practical way, to take all the pictures that we read and put it on a screen in such a way that maybe it'll all start coming together over the last 17 weeks. It'll it'll make a much clearer sense. I pray tonight to understand what is going on, and why this battle that has to play out at the end, why the end of the world, why Satan versus Jesus, uh, and why is this all going to take place in the Middle East. So my goal tonight is to tackle a very difficult subject called Mystery Babylon. Uh, There are people who teach this chapter that will say that the religion of the end time is going to be the Catholic Church. That... The Catholic Church will be the worldwide religion that the Antichrist will rise up through and uh, because Catholicism basically rules the world I think Martin Luther as well believed that the Catholic Church and the Pope were part of the system of the religion that Antichrist would ride on the hills of religion so when you read things about this mystery Babylon the harlot the blood of all the Saints many theologians try to connect that to the Catholic Church Uh, maybe not where it is at present, but where it will be globally as we get closer to this. I'm not so inclined to believe that. I'm going to tell you why tonight, and then you can pick what you choose where you want to go with it, and I'll give you my belief and my opinion on it. Chapter 17, Uh, we end chapter 16 with the plagues. And we end with plague six, it really is not a plague. We left off here last week, it's really not a plague, it's more of a preparation uh, because uh, devils are released and spirits begin to go into the world and what they're doing is they're moving on the hearts of political leaders to begin to hate the Jews and to begin to pull themselves to the kingdom of the Antichrist who is also ruling politically and they're going to make an alliance with him. Accordingly to what we read, 10 kings somewhere in the Middle East, the East, that could be Turkey, Syria, Libya, uh, you know, those surrounding Middle Eastern countries, China, Russia, any of those could align together politically uh, with a hatred of the Jews. So I do know that uh, in our country lately, over the last four years specifically, and specifically today as well, there has just been a constant reminder how much we hate each other. How much blacks hate whites, whites hate blacks and Mexicans and Hispanics and it's almost like there's just an agenda in our media that constantly stirs up how much we should hate each other. Because they know if we ever band together we're, we're more deadly than we are when we're divided. and they. A global economy cannot allow humans to band together. We have to hate each other, because when we hate each other and we're against each other, it's much more likely that we'll turn to one global person to solve it all. And so I think what you're seeing, especially a bunch of hatred toward races, at least it. I don't I don't really see it in the natural, but it's propagated all the time. It's shoved down your throat constantly. But that's a demonic preparation. It's preparing the minds of people to begin, ultimately, I love the way my mom puts it, ultimately, and if you want to write it down, I think this is coming, there will, it will all turn from whites, from blacks, and from Asians and Hispanics, and it will ultimately turn to the Jew. And there will be an extreme hatred for the Jew. And that's where the Bible is taking us because that's where the Antichrist is going to totally annihilate the people of God and to rule in Jerusalem. Chapter 17 opens up in a very interesting way with this seventh angel uh, who shows up with the plague and uh, in the end of 16 announces the fall of Babylon and the drying up of the river Euphrates And this here is the whole system of where we are. If we just kind of look around at potentially the kings that may align with the Antichrist, we have Saudi Arabia, we have Iran, Iraq, uh, we have Turkey, uh, Turkmenistan, Egypt, uh, Syria. We've got a lot of, of nations that are kind of in this Middle Eastern pack that, accordingly to what we read, are going to align with this political leader. Ten kings are going to align with him And they're going to begin to march a global agenda. Here's what's so strange. It's a very strange thought. Revelation 17 says everything that's happening is designed by God. And that is mind-blowing. Because we kind of think the devil's just having his way, but God has designed the whole thing to bring about the, the wrath upon the rebellion of his people, the Jews, and the wrath upon sinful mankind. Here again is how it kind of plays out. Uh, There's Baghdad, uh, the Tigris River, the Euphrates. Uh, I started in Baghdad, and I'll tell you why. We're going to kind of work our way. So all night tonight, we're going to hang in this geographical region and try to open up what is Mystery Babylon, who is Mystery Babylon. And that area that I have highlighted there is, is pretty much the same area, maybe not all of it, but there's the pink. The pink is the promised land that was promised. So you can see uh, Iraq, Iran, and then down at the Kuwait City. And down in the bottom right corner is the Kuwait City. And then there's the Tigris River, the Euphrates, that dries up. Still there today. Ultimately, we're moving from the river Euphrates that has to dry up. uh, That final movement toward war. The Euphrates River will dry up and the ten kings will begin to march toward Israel to take it over and to rule. Lucifer, Satan, desires to rule and reign from the city of Jerusalem because that is the city of God and he himself thinks he's God. So he's moving to Israel. He's moving to Jerusalem. Here's the end of the seventh bowl. By the end of the seventh bowl, what we get is almost all, if not all, of the cities of Gentile nations have collapsed And seemingly, by the time we get to this point, there's only one real region city left. There's only one mountain left, the Mount of Olives, Mount Zion, Uh, and all the mountains have gone, the valleys are gone, the the islands are gone. Uh, You remember all the plagues that have poured out. Uh, The last plague poured out in this bowl, basically all the cities of the nations are destroyed and collapsed. So by the time we get to this chapter, we're pretty much landing on probably the last three to four weeks before the, we would call the Millennial Kingdom. Everything is escalating quickly. War is moving quickly. The river dried up. The armies are starting to march. And they're going for one city, one final remaining city, and it's going to be Jerusalem. And they're headed into that region of Israel, and they're going to camp on the plains of Megiddo, and they're going to begin to do the final war that we would call the end. Here is that scripture, the angel poured out his seventh bowl into the air, this is the end of chapter 16, the great city, there it is, split into three parts, that great city is going to be called Babylon the Great. So at the end of chapter 16, we get introduced to this very interesting topic, this topic called Babylon the Great. Uh, in my opinion i'll take you there tonight i believe it's going to be the final city where lucifer rules from while he tries to take over the world here's isaiah 21 that talks about babylon says i stand on the watchtower and i give back an answer babylon has fallen all the images of its gods lie shattered on the ground so here's what we know from research of scripture in the old testament We have the beginning of the nation of Babylon at the Tower of Babel, Genesis 11. We have the the beginning of the conquest of Babylon where we find Daniel in the Old Testament has been taken captive. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're under Babylonian rule. And Nebuchadnezzar's ruling from the city of Babylon. And Babylon pretty much controls most of the known world at that time. But there's a prophetic thing given in Isaiah that there's coming a fall. Uh, The Babylon the Great, Babylon, as we see in chapter 17, will be the final Gentile city that will ever be destroyed and the Jews will no longer be under Gentile dominion of any kind. And when Babylon falls, when this final city over the world, Gentile, where Lucifer the Antichrist will rule and govern the world, once this city is done with, with the next thing that will happen will be the rule and reign of Jesus Christ for a thousand years from Jerusalem. So a very interesting, here's Revelation 18, it takes us a chapter forward. We'll look at this in depth next week. After this, I saw another angel come down and he had a mighty shout, and here's the shout, it kind of echoes Isaiah. Babylon is fallen, and then it labels this, that great city. Babylon is uh, pretty much, all the way through the Bible, Babylon, other than Jerusalem, is the only other city that is mentioned as that great city is Jerusalem and Babylon, and there seems to be this real conflict in Scripture between Israel, Jerusalem, and between Babylon and the working of Satan. Here's the destruction of Babylon, and I want to really hold on to this. This is going to be the remainder of the night. We're going to talk about this thought. The destruction of Babylon is one of the two major themes of the Bible, And I know we probably wouldn't think that just on a casual reading. But if you understand what's going on scripturally, it becomes very clear. Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel shows up. And if you remember, God comes down to this group of people and says to this group of people, we have to uh, change their language because there's nothing they cannot accomplish. If you do a deep dive, you go to the History Channel uh, and several other documentaries about Babel, uh, there are many people that believe and these aren't Christian people these are just uh, scientists they're, they're you know philosophers, that kind of thing that study history, historians there are many people and when I say many there's a whole wave of people that believe the Tower of Babel was not just a place where rocks were piled up and a bunch of people tried to get to heaven. there are people that literally believe that it was a gateway from, from earth to the heavens where the demons of Of the other world would come down and they would begin to download information and knowledge to humans and there was this congruency of the demonic realm working with the human realm at the Tower of Babel Uh, I would say I kind of believe that because we also see Joseph having a dream I mean Jacob having a dream where he's laid back and there's a stair a, a stairway to heaven a ladder so to speak and the angels you remember they come up and down And so we do know from scripture that heaven can have an open portal to come and move up and down with humans. Uh, uh, The devil will say that to God in the book of Job. Where have you been? I have been going up and down from the heavens to the earth, patrolling the earth, seeing what's going on. So the devil himself even intimates that he had access to go from the heavenly realm to the earthly realm. So when we think Tower of Babel, we cannot just think a a modern marvel of that day that was a big tower of rocks. Accordingly, there's something very supernatural going on, something very demonic going on, something very evil going on, and I'll tell you why I think it's true that that's why God had to step in and totally push all the people to, to leave Babel and to leave the great city of Babylon. Here are the themes. I said it was part of two themes. Here's theme one. I think everybody in the room would agree with it. The theme of the protagonist in the Bible, which is Jesus. Every book of the Bible is about Jesus. I I think it was Oral Roberts that preached Jesus in every book of the Bible. Uh, And the protagonist has a city, and his city is Jerusalem. You don't get that in the book of Genesis. It doesn't lend itself. It's progressive revelation. Over time, you begin to see that the protagonist, Jesus, who's the seed of the woman, is the son of God, but he has a city, and then that city, there's a purpose, and that purpose is from that city, he will rule the world with his kingdom. Now, that's Genesis to Revelation. That's a the theme of the Bible. Every book of the Bible will speak to this somehow whether it's speaking to the nation of Jerusalem, whether it's speaking to the redemption of Jesus, or whether it's speaking to the kingdom that is to come. My belief is every book of the Bible speaks to that. However, in any good story, there's the antagonist. There's the opposite side of the coin. There's the head and then there's the tail. There's the good, there's the evil. In Chinese philosophy, there's the yin and there's the yang. Well, in the Bible, there's the protagonist and the antagonist, and it's Satan. It's the angel created by God, the top angel we come to know from the Book of Isaiah, the Book of Ezekiel. He's God's top angel. He wasn't just some—I've <laughs> made a joke before. He's not just some Hollywood creation with horns and beady eyes and a pitchfork. Accordingly, he was God's top. He—you uh, know—we would call him the top tier of God's creation of un- unhuman beings. And uh, what we find out about this person, this protagonist, he too has a city. His city will be Babylon. And he has one goal, and it's to rule the world and, and set up a kingdom. This is why the Tower of Babel is such an important story in the Bible. The Tower of Babel shows up in a weird way right after the book of Genesis 6, 7, 8, and 9, which is the story of Noah. All of his kids come off the boat, and rather than scattering... And taking over the earth, which is what they were commanded to do from the Garden of Eden, they don't scatter. Uh, The people at the Tower of Babel were Noah's sons and all of their descendants. So by the time they got off the ark and they took their wives and they had children who had children who had children, it's all of Noah's kids that end up at the Tower of Babel building Babel my belief still very much connected to the word that God gave Noah, and they understand because in Noah's day, there was demonic activity from the sons of God and the daughters of men. They were very familiar with that, so when they got off the ark, that same kind of demonic influence upon humans was still going on. Even The Bible says that even after that time, the Nephilim, uh, speaking of those uh, angels, are still there, and we show up at the Tower of Babel. Now, the Tower of Babel is the location of the ancient city Babylon where they will rule and reign. And out of Babel comes this this Babylonian antagonist. Out of this uh, antagonist of Babylon comes... Now, here's the deal, and we pick it up in Revelation 17. Out of this chapter 11 comes every demonic, every evil... Political horde and religious horde come out of Babel. Everything demonic will trace back to Babel. Everything evil politically will chase back to Babel. We really didn't have politics until about the time Babel came because that's when people were scattered. And when they were scattered, they scattered into clans. They scattered into people groups. People groups scattered into kings and nations and kings and nations. So out of Babel comes the kings and the nations of the world. And so if you take all the kingdoms of the world, we can trace them back to Babel where they were all together before they split. My belief is when they split... They didn't split with the Spirit of God. They split with the Spirit of Antichrist, who I believe has always been in the world. And when they split and went their separate ways, not only did they just take a a piece of language, they took a piece of the knowledge of God and they took a piece of Lucifer's uh, demonic activity, which is what we see in Revelation 17. Uh, Mystery Babylon, the mother of all obscenities, the mother of all harlotry, the mother uh, of all uh, things that would be evil and adultery. So let's see if we can figure this out a little bit tonight. Here's what the name Babel means, which is I go back to say I think there was something going on in the heavenly realms with the earthly realm. Uh, I guess sci-fi people would call it a portal. Uh, You know, people who watch Star Trek would call it a stargate. Um, you know, even scientists today are trying to figure out, can they create that and can they step through time into another dimension? Here's what we do know. We do know, without any Bible education, there are other dimensions outside of ours, yes or no? <laughs> yeah, we get three of them right here, the fourth being time. According to physics and physicists, there are ten dimensions. I can't, that's so deep, I can't even begin to go there, it's so over my head. But they're literally, they say now, over ten dimensions. So we get, you know, up, down, right, left, deep, wide, you know. And then we get time as a dimension. And then there's six other dimensions past that. So what they're saying is there is an entire world of dimensions out there you'll never see and you can't see. Now the way we see them now is either God gives us insight and we have a vision. Uh, He gives us a dream. Uh, He allows us in some way to have a... We would call it as they did sometimes a vision and see the future or, uh, you know, that God could, uh, as Paul said, I was taken up into the third heaven and I saw things that were great and marvelous. And then the way most of us are going to see it is you're going to die. You know, now here's a weird thing. If we take God out of the equation and we go into the world system, there's many people who take acid trips and drug trips who will tell you that they've gone into another dimension. We laugh at that and go, man, they're just drug addicts, right? But, you know, in in the realm of science, because their mind is so altered, they actually see things. You know, we we may give it a psychological reasoning behind it, but but Babel was the gate of God. I'm going to land on tonight that it also is the headquarters of Satan's government. Uh, And I'll tell you why. As you study this out, you'll also... Find that many people believe that the headquarters of Satan's government is going to be Rome, Vatican City, because what we read is the harlot, the beast, sat on seven hills. And so the, you know, the typical teaching is Rome is the only city that sits on seven hills. But if we're smart and we read on, it also tells us not only is it seven hills, but they the seven hills represent seven kings. So we don't just have to connect the prostitute to Rome. We have to connect the prostitute to seven kings. In other words, there's going to be seven nations that are going to be ruling. Here's Revelation 17. On the seven heads, and this is what I was saying, there's seven bowls and said, Come, I'll show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits by the water. With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery. And the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. The angel carried me away into the spirit, and there I saw a woman sitting on the scarlet beast. And here's just a thought for those of you who like to study, maybe go deeper. Notice where the angel carried him away to. in the Spirit where, which is the same place the Spirit took Jesus, which is the same place Jesus bumped into Lucifer, in the wilderness. He said, he carried me to the wilderness, and there I saw the woman sitting on a scarlet beast. We don't get that in Matthew 4. What we get in Matthew 4 is Jesus is actually talking to Lucifer himself. But what we get here is we get the system. We don't get the individual, the devil. We get the system of politics that the devil is working with. We know this is true because in Matthew 4, Jesus will be tempted by the devil. If you will bow down and worship me, I will give you what? All the what? All the glories and kingdoms of the world. They're mine to give to you. I will give them to you. So what we do know that Lucifer has prophesied is that he will be controlling these nations and that's the scarlet beast. He offers them to Jesus Jesus could be the one sitting on the scarlet beast. Jesus could be the great prostitute that we see here. But he's the holy son of God. There's no sin in him whatsoever. So he rejects the pleas of the enemy to give him the kingdoms of the world. And now the kingdoms of the world show up in a scarlet beast. And I love what it said because if we really think this through... Yeah, I almost guarantee you that when Lucifer showed Jesus the kingdoms of the world, he did not show him the reality. because the reality of those kingdoms came out of Babel and their kingdoms with blasphemous names and their kingdoms with obscenities all over them. But when He showed them to Jesus, we just see the glories of the kingdom of the world. Why? Because he's a deceiver. He, but what he was going to offer Jesus is all the obscenities and all the blasphemies and he could rule over them. If he would, in other words, Lucifer would allow Jesus to sit on the scarlet beast and rule if he would only worship him as God. So the moment Jesus rejects that, Lucifer has to find another person that can ride the scarlet beast, a religious being that can ride the scarlet beast that he can help set this thing up of his kingdom If that makes a little more sense of that temptation of what was going on with Jesus. Verse 4 and 5. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet. And this is why a lot of people feel like this could potentially be the Catholic Church. They really try their best to tie this together with uh, all of the glitz and gold and glam of the Catholic religion. I think it's a uh, a little weak, but that is where they go with it glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. The name written on her forehead, and here it comes, very interesting. We're, we're now, in this one phrase written on her forehead, it goes all the way back to the Tower of Babel. On her forehead is written, Babel the Great, and then it tells us something very significant. She's the mother of all prostitutes and abominations of the earth. Meaning that out of the Tower of Babel, that moment of God in Genesis 11, came every filth, every obscenity, every evil, every demonic horde, every political horde that would ever work for the kingdom of the devil. Came out of that Tower of Babel moment. So it wasn't that God was just ticked, like, oh, these poor humans, man, they're going to build a tower and they may get up here to heaven. Not a clue. That's not what he was upset over. Is that he realized, I believe, what was going on is that the devil was doing overtime to download divine knowledge to humans so that that divine knowledge could corrupt the world so that the world couldn't birth the seed. Because if the whole world is corrupt, you cannot have a holy seed. Which is why God out of the nations that were scattered in Genesis 11, Genesis 12, he had to pull out one of those nations. What was his name? Abraham. Why? Why did God in 11, when he scattered them, because God knows if I scatter them from this tower of Babel and this this tower is the mother of all prostitutes and abomination and I let them just go have their way... Every seed on the world will be corrupted, and we will never have the Holy Son of God. So, he had to out of the Tower of Babel, Genesis 12, he had to pull out a dude named Abraham. His name was Abram at that time. What's weird is, Abram was an idol worshiper. There was nothing about Abram that was spiritual, there was nothing about Abram that was special. God pulled out an idol-worshipping family and brought him over here and said, I am going to make you and your children as numerous as the stars of the sky. And he pulls this guy out and out of Abraham, here, here comes what I've been teaching all along, out of Abraham comes this nation of Israel that stands polar opposite to all the other nations. The Gentiles that spread out in abominations the Gentiles that spread out in demonic hordes, this group of people is distinctly different. It's why God will say you cannot marry those people. It's not because God is racist. It's not because God thinks blacks and whites shouldn't get together or whites stay with white, Africans stay with African. It's not the way God thinks. God is thinking demonic hordes and mothers of prostitutes, my holy people. You cannot marry into them. They will pervert you. They will change you. They will destroy you. You must be holy. You're my people. And so God pulls this people uh, called the Israelites out of this demonic horde. And for the rest of the Old Testament, this group of people is wrestling with these demonic horde nations. They, they wrestle with Egypt. They wrestle with Babylon. They wrestle with Assyria, Medo-Persia, Greece, the Rome. Everybody hates the Jews, this little bitty group of people. And here's, here's something very interesting. It's just a thought. It has nothing to do with the chapter, but if you love to study, it may inspire you. Why do you think God would tell Abraham, kill your kid? I want you to give me your kid. You're going to kill your kid. And everybody gets mad at that. I can't believe God would ever say to a human to kill the child. That's because we're looking at it from our perspective. What what God had to do when he pulled Abram out and said, I want your child and you will sacrifice your child to me. And we think, what kind of perverted God does this? But what you have to know is God is working something. Because Abraham needed to know this God was totally separate from those gods. Totally different. So he says, "All right, the only way I can establish how different I am from all those people, give me your kid." So he takes Isaac up on the thing, he wears his knife back, and I mean, right, you know the story. right before he kills him, God says, "Shit, just kidding. Never mind. Not going to kill your kid. How rude. I mean, that almost sounds rude. It wasn't rude. From our 2021 culturally appropriated culture, it's wrong. But from a man who's pulled out of a demonic horde and brought over here, he was taught a wonderful lesson. My God is not like any of the others because all the other gods demand child sacrifice. Molech demands it. All the other gods, the Egyptian gods, demand child sacrifice. But my God proved a point. I thought he was like all the others, and he was going to demand my kid. But I realized this God, Jehovah, is distinctly different because he doesn't require human sacrifice. And the sacrifice is going to be himself. And there was no other God that would kill himself. They all killed humans. This God taught us, I don't kill humans, I'm going to kill myself. That's that whole thing, and that's why that's playing out in chapter 12, 13, 14 of Genesis. Revelation 17, 9, this calls, and I guess I'd have to say yeah to this, this calls for a mind of understanding. The seven heads of the beast represent seven hills where the woman rules, which is why people say it's Rome. It's about the only city in the world that sits on seven hills, but we just stop reading there. The seven heads also represent seven kings. And then it tells us a very historical thing. Five of the kings have fallen. The sixth one now reigns. The seventh one's going to come. But his reign will be brief. Three and a half years it will be. The scarlet beast that was but is no longer is the eighth king. He's like the other seven and he too will head for destruction. This is the picture of mystery Babylon. Uh, You know, I don't, could you imagine seeing that in a vision? Now that doesn't look much like a bunch of nations. You think God would just show us something really clear, like a bunch of generals with tanks and weapons. But what he shows us is a beast, and that beast is a political system. But on top of that political system sits a religious system of harlotries out of Babel. Every bit of it comes out of the Tower of Babel. Religion and politics birthed out of the Tower of Babel now show up as Mystery Babylon. Babylon the Great, the mother of all harlots. Here is my definition of Mystery Babylon. It's Satan's worldwide demonic, political, and religious system. Now here's the seven heads brought out, and I called it Babel's descendants. That out of Genesis chapter 11, you remember when we read through 17... As we read through 17, we came to the thought that all of this is happening because God has willed it to happen. It's not that the devil said, let me just hurt him. It actually says that God is using these events to push things toward an end for his people. I ran you through all of Babel's descendants that we learned about. Here's the first one, Egypt. We see that in Exodus, uh, Moses... The city that Egypt ruled from, the Pharaoh, was Ramses. That's, uh, so I've given you the ruling city out beside it. So the nation that's ruling and then the city. Because what I want to teach you is that every political religious system of God's kingdom and the devil always has a city that it rules from. All right, It's not just random. Assyria was the next that took over Egypt and ruled from Nineveh. Everybody remember the city of Nineveh? 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 Still there to this day. It's in, uh, it's in Iraq. The next nation that took over the third head was Babylon and the city was Babylon. That's where you come to the book of Daniel. King Cyrus I believe takes over with Medo-Persia. He too rules out of Babylon. They may have had other cities they ruled from but their primary capital were these cities. The next was the Greeks, Alexander the Great. He took over Medo Persia and he ruled from the city of Athens. The Grecian Empire was taken over by the Roman Empire, and Rome, for quite a while, was the capital, and Constantinople as well served as the capital of the Roman Empire, which pretty much ruled the longest of all. Now, what John said is five of them have already been and left. There's the five, all of them connected to Israel. The sixth now is, now, and Rome was in charge while John was on the island of Patmos riding. But he said the seventh is yet to come and he will only rule for a short time and then out of the seventh will come the eighth and the eighth will be the end. The seventh one that will come will be Mystery Babylon. Babylon and will rule from a city, and rather than me saying the Rome or the Vatican, I'm going to tell you why I believe I've titled it, they will rule from the new Babylon. Now, I don't know if the city will be called Babylon. I don't know if they'll name it that, but it's mystery, but it will be connected to Babylon in some kind of way. Three and a half years in, the leader of mystery Babylon will be killed. He's the Antichrist. He will be killed, a wound to his head. He's raised from the dead. That's why the seventh is only there for a part-time, three and a half years. Then he's killed, and out of the seventh arises the eighth. And when the eighth one arises, it's all-out satanic warfare. Satan now possesses the Antichrist. Satan now possesses a human. He resurrects the leader of the mystery Babylon empire, he resurrects that leader, he indwells that leader, he takes over all religion, and he's, his one goal is to claim himself God and conquer Jerusalem, because he has to rule from the city of God. Let's look at the next thing that I think will be interesting of why this city of Babylon is so critical to the devil, not to God, but to the devil. Why is this so critical and why has this Babel's political system always been a problem for God's people? And God has always used this to push his people back to serving him. And God has used these nations to judge his people and moving his kingdom authority. To understand Babel, let's go to the Garden of Eden. To get a clear picture of why Babel is so important, we go to the Garden of Eden. And Babylon is an ancient city that is going to be set up right outside of the Garden of Eden. So once Lucifer tempts Adam and Eve, and once Adam and Eve are banished from the Garden, because Eden was also in heaven as the Garden of God, And it's also on earth is the garden of God. Once Adam and Eve are banished from the garden, so is Lucifer. No one can come back into the garden of God. We often say the reason God put a cherubim was to keep Adam and Eve from eating the fruit. That could be true, and it's a wise thing if he did. But I also believe he put a cherubim there so that Lucifer could not come back into the garden of Eden thinking that from Eden he could rule the world. Because Eden was already in heaven and now we have the Eden on earth, the garden that God planted. So once Lucifer gets banished with Cain and Abel and they get banished and they begin to go and populate the earth, Cain goes and they have children and they populate, we also know that Lucifer himself began to go. By Genesis 6, Lucifer had pretty much corrupted almost all of humanity. But to understand why Eden was so important to the city of Babylon, let's read Genesis 2. Now the Lord God planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there He put the man He had formed. And now it gives us the geographical location of Eden. The name of the first is Pishon. There are four river headwaters. The name of the second is Gihon in blue. The name of the third is the Tigris, and lo and behold, what's the name of the fourth? So we've already studied that, the Euphrates River. Here is, an, here is a, just a, a modern map of the two rivers, the Tigris and the Euphrates. Now the Pishon and the Gihon are no longer around anymore, but here's the speculation. Historic, historically, people say they were. Uh, at the four headwaters of the Pishon, the, Gishon, the Gihon, the Tigris, and Euphrates, was the land of Eden. So the Garden of Eden was at the headwaters of the Euphrates and these waters right on the tip of Kuwait where the modern-day city of Kuwait sits. Uh, geographically, this is where the Garden of Eden, where God established the very first human being on planet Earth. So if we go, the river Euphrates is still there Tigris is still there but the other two are gone so it is speculation but we know they all flow to the same place so the modern-day speculation is somewhere on the corner sat the Garden of Eden here is our map and I put an X on marks the spot and lo and behold there's the Euphrates River that still exists today that the angel is going to dry up so you know, I'm, I'm inclined to believe it too. I'll tell you why. But there sits the there sits the modern day Garden of Eden, or as God started it, and all the people of the world split out from there. They settled in the land of Nod, which is there. They created the Tower of Babel, which is there. Here's our map of the Promised Land that I gave you at the very beginning. There's our seven churches. Is it not amazing to you that on one corner sits the city of God and on the other corner sits the beginning of God? And God has encompassed the entire land with a beginning and an end. Remember I told you, He's the beginning and He's the end. On one corner is the beginning, on the other corner is the end. And God encompasses the two and there's going to be a raging battle in the end that is going to come. Let's read a scripture. Genesis 11. Here is the Tower of Babel. I'll be brief with it. Chapter 1, they migrated to the east. So I guess if we go back one, if they migrate to the east, they're going to start going up the River Euphrates. So as this group of people who leave the Tower of Babel, uh, it says they begin to migrate to the east. And then it even tells us that they found a plain where? Where? In the land of Babylonian, they begin to say, let's make bricks. And they said, come, let's do what? There's the great city. They're going to build a... We we know it is. We we call it the Tower of Babel. They weren't just building a tower. My belief is the tower was a portal to the demonic realm of heaven. And they were building a city where they could worship the demonic world. That's what they were trying to do. He said, but the Lord came down to look at what? The city and the tower. All right? Psalm 48. How great is the Lord. Just want you to see God also has a city. How deserving of praise in the city of our God, which sits on His holy mountain. It is high and magnificent. The whole earth will rejoice to see it. Mount Zion, the holy mountain, in the city of the great King, God Himself. And then tells us the city of the great King, Jerusalem. Jerusalem. So now we know there's going to be a a major battle between the city of the great king, God, Jerusalem, and the city of Satan himself, Babylon. And the two are about to unite in the final chapters of Revelation, and they're going to convene to end the world. And all of the demonic hordes of the Tower of Babel and all the nations that came out of it, all the adulteries, all the perversion, all the religious perversion will soon be dealt with. Here's the Middle East... And I gave you three flashing. There's Eden, where the land of Eden was. Just north of Eden is Babel, where the X is, the flashing X. And then the check mark to the left is Jerusalem. This will be the entire end of the world battle. The entire battle will take place from this point. Here is a picture of what people think Babylon looked like in the day. <clears throat> It was, uh, uh, I think, 2,200 acres. And we think that's huge, right? But the statistics of how many people live there was about 200,000. So not a very big city at all in relation to 7 million that live in Atlanta. But they ruled the world from here. And in some way, ruling the world with 200,000 people, it's amazing that they uh, downloaded that. I want to just give you... Two videos now, I'm going to end with two videos that I think will help you understand that we're not just talking Bible, we're talking reality. And so let's see if I can play it and you can watch the first one. Both of them are very short. I want to do something to end. I'll go ahead and give you this first so you can write it down in your notes. Mystery Babylon, political and religious babble that God uses, and when I say Babel, I go all the way back to Genesis 11. That's what I mean by that. Political and religious Babel. I misspelled religious, I think. I'm sorry. That God uses for dealing with His people Israel due to their rebellion and rejection of Him. What I want to do is I want to end... I've got a seven-minute video that I'm going to talk over uh, because what I tried to do tonight was to... Um, create something that would be visual for you that I created myself that I think would open uh, all of what I've been saying to you. It would make sense of it. Uh, I did it on Google Earth. So what we're going to do is do a Google Earth flyby of the end of the world. Is that okay? And so I'm going to try to do it the way the Bible would teach it and give you a Google Earth flyby of the end of the world, how it's going to play out, where everything's going to take place. I would encourage you just to watch because sometimes a picture speaks a thousand words. I'll try to talk a little bit over it as we go. I hope it opens your heart to understand it. It's a flyby of the tale of two cities of why I believe Babylon will be the city of the Antichrist and Jerusalem will be the city of God. And Satan desires the city of God, Jerusalem. And it's going to be an all-out war in chapter 19 and 18 as we go. So let's look at it. Here we are tonight. Believer's Church. Hanging out at Believer's Church on 2981 and Beaumar Road. Here we go. We're going to fly off and go see what's going to happen at the end of the world. There's Sweetwater. There's Mableton Yay, there's Atlanta, praise God, we're not even charging you for this flight. And over the water we go, hopefully you don't get caught, the Bermuda Triangle here shortly. Whew, we made it. The hordes of all devils. We're going to come up on the shores of Africa in just a moment. Northern Africa, there's Portugal and Spain. I'm going to go out for you, the Straits of Gibraltar. We're coming through the Mediterranean Sea, and lo and behold comes the Promised Land. I'm going to stop over the promised land for you and let you see it. From Israel to the Persian Gulf to Iraq, Syria, and Lebanon, there is the promised land we've been talking about from chapter 1 when we started. Kuwait in the corner is where we believe the Garden of Eden was located when God did the Garden of Eden. Let's zoom in to the Garden of Eden, which is the headwaters of the Pishon Gihon Euphrates and Tigris. In this area, Adam and Eve were banished from the garden along with Cain who went out and began to settle. As Cain went out and began to settle, he went down into the plains and we saw in Genesis 11 after the flood, they settled in a land called Babylon. Babylon is still there to this day, right outside the city of HeLa. We're gonna zoom in as we fly up the river Euphrates We're going to start zooming in to the city of Gila. And right outside the city of Gila is where all the people who descended from Noah's kids decided they wanted to hang out. At the top left corner, in comes the Tower of Babel. This is the modern day look of the Tower of Babel, straight off Google Earth. There is the Ishtar Gate where they would worship the devil. And this is where they settled in Genesis 11. As we zoom in more, you're gonna see the ancient ruins of the city of Babylon. You can tell it's not that big. You know, let's not think the size of Atlanta here. Let's think about 2,200 acres and about 200,000 people. But they were settled there and God came down and said no. We pull out a little bit and there's the river Euphrates where the angel is going to pour out his bowl and dry it up as soon as he does. The Antichrist, who's ruling from, I believe, in this area, maybe Baghdad, maybe there, he's going to gather the other kings of the earth, and he's going to go to war. The war is called the Battle of Armageddon. And as we pull out, we see the corner of where Babylon is, and then there is the Promised Land once again. Once the river Euphrates dries up, all of those nations that are part of that beast system will begin to march across the plains to the land of Israel. Anybody want to remember where they settle at, where they land on? We talked about it last week. They settle at Megiddo, the battle of Armageddon. If you notice Megiddo, there's Nazareth. Kind of funny that the devil's going to settle all of his hordes right outside the city where Jesus was from. He himself wants to be the king. There is the valley of Megiddo. That is where all the hordes of the devil's armies and kings are going to gather to take Jerusalem over, and they're going to come. I'll give you a 3D view and kind of spin around so you can see how big the plane is. Uh, some people teach that there'll be over two to three million soldiers there, ready to take over Jerusalem right outside of Nazareth, where Jesus made his hometown. And I don't think that's prophetically not very obvious, pretty obvious prophetically. As we zoom out, we can see Nazareth, and then down in the bottom is the city that he wants. He wants the city of God. He's set his image up already. His image is in the temple of God, in the city of God. He has declared himself as God. He's ruling from Babylon, but he's declared himself as God. And now he's going to set himself as God in the temple of God, proclaiming himself as God. So let's zoom in to Jerusalem to the actual temple where the temple used to exist in Jesus' day. Now it's owned by uh, the Arabs. But this is the temple they all fight over. Who controls it? Now whether the actual temple will be on that mount or close by, I'm not really sure, but this is what he's going for. He's going for this temple because he who sits in the temple will declare himself God. We zoom around the back, we pull away, and now we're standing on the Mount of Olives where Jesus will come and his feet will touch down on this mountaintop right over the temple. And in that valley is the valley where all of the hordes of the devil's armies, where the blood is going to flow to the depths of a horse's bridle. As Jesus stands on the mount and he begins to split the Mount of Olives in two, and he begins to take over the temple and rule and reign, making it holy. <clears throat> so as we get ready to pull out, we'll kind of do a, one more scan of the whole area again to give you a sense of what's going to be taking place. There's the whole city of Jerusalem. That is where God himself, Jesus Christ, will come down. Come on, somebody. And he will set up his kingdom and he will rule and reign. From Jerusalem. And he will set his kingdom. But let's go up into heaven and let's see what God would be looking at from a heavenly realm as God looks down upon his people. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared the sea was gone and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed from her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them. They will be his people and God will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I'm making all things new. Praise God. So let's not just sit around and think that this is just some weird, strange book that some guy on an island decided he wanted to write because he had drank a little too much whiskey. God gave it to us because he knows what's going to happen. God gave it to us because He wants you to know He's coming back. God gave it to us because He adores you. He adores this earth that He made. And He's coming back to once again totally annihilate every work of the devil. Every satanic, demonic, evil, political, religious. There will come a day where the Heavenly Father will descend from heaven and He will put His feet on the Mount of Olives. And when he puts his feet on the Mount of Olives, he will rule and reign. And we who are alive will rule and reign with him. Come on, that's an awesome thing. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. So, Father God, we ask very poignantly tonight and with humble hearts. We want to make it. You said those of us that endure to the end will make it. We don't want to be sidetracked. We don't want to die trusting us. We don't want to die chasing ourselves and our dreams and our politics and our religion. We don't want to die worshiping ourselves. God, I pray on this corner you keep a remnant of people. You keep us right. You keep us on track. You keep us from being deceived and taken apart by this political system that is governing our world even now. This global world system that is shoving an agenda of demonic hordes of abominations and perversions and pornography and lust and sex trafficking and agendas and racism that shoves it down the throat God we take authority all the way back to the tower of Babel and we say that no devil of hell no demonic political or religious spirit has any right in us and we take authority over it and we say we will be the people of God called by your name and God I ask that you use us mightily. In the name of Jesus. And you say amen. amen. I want to say something in closing to you that, that, uh, that is on my heart really heavy. And what's on my heart really heavy is how many Christians are, are becoming not, af- not ashamed of Jesus. It would be very hard to find a Christian ashamed of Jesus, especially if they're a professing Christian. But a lot of Christians are, are not, not ashamed of Jesus, but what they're afraid of is to speak out. Because we live in a culture that will cancel you. We live in a culture that will sue you, that will shut your church down, your business down, your 501c3. And what's happened is we've gone from political correctness now to cultural correctness. And this spirit of what is culturally correct is straight from the Tower of Babel. And it came because the devil knew he couldn't stop you from believing in Jesus. He couldn't cause you to reject Jesus. So what he has to do is throw... a a power over culture that will cause you to love Jesus but with a closed mouth. It's why the baptism of the Spirit was given so your mouth would open and you would witness. But yet we live in a culture today where if we dare remotely speak against anything this culture says is right, we're shut down, we're on the front page of the newspapers, Uh, our church is shut down. If we remotely talk transgender, gays, lesbians, homosexuality, perversion, pornography, anything that culture says is is true and observed and we open our mouth, we're we're now in the seat of being persecuted. I told you before, I don't know if we're going to be beheaded and all of that in this culture. I don't think we're going to have to be. I think the devil's going to do such a good job by causing Christians to love Jesus internally rather than vocally. And I just want to challenge you. uh, and, And even I myself, I said this last week, I don't want to die mowing grass. I, I want to speak up. And I even said to somebody, if they, if they arrest me, they do. If I get on the front page of the newspaper, so be it. But if the world is going to shove it down my daughter's throat and shove it down your children's throat and put it in their curriculum, by God, it's time we stand up and open our mouth and be bold. And we have to be bold. I just talked to somebody yesterday. They called and said, could you talk to me? I need some wisdom. I said, sure. And they're they're part of a business. And they were asked to write an article of training. And so they did. In the article of training, they had the word God given in there. And then in the article of training, they were giving all the steps to do it. And then they made the phrase, boy, isn't that easy? And the article came back. They could not print it until it was changed because they couldn't have the word God in it. And it couldn't have the word boy in it. That's where we've gone with our culture. We can't even use the term boy anymore because it's offensive. We can't use the term God because it's offensive while the church sits around and determines what day we want to meet on and whether or not we can get out of bed and go today because we're tired. It's just time we stand up. It's time we own our 50 feet. It's time we become vocal. I'm not talking rude. I'm just talking vocal. This is time you become very brave about what you believe. Very brave about who you think God is. If He's a healer, then let's meet and believe He'll heal people. If He's a redeemer, let's meet and tell people there's hope. And uh, and if it offends people, we're sorry. We're going to go anyway. Just there's the door. Leave. We're going to keep rolling and keep pushing the gospel and keep getting it out there. I'm going to give you one little heads up just so you know what's coming. Um, it has been a, a weird several years for believers. We were in a building. We had to get out. We were gone for a year and a half. We built a beautiful building. We came back ready to hit the ground. Corona hit. We stopped. We kind of got back in, gathered our breath. And I just want to tell you, over the last two weeks, I went back through my computer and I dug out something I wrote over eight years ago called The Church That I See. And it was everything that God put in my heart as a shepherd to win the world and to do what God called us to do. I sat in my office and just wept. I thought, my God, I've, I, I, I've let all this go because we get so distracted. I, and so I just want to let you know, this year, we're, we're about to just hit the ground running at believers. And we're just going to go. And, and my heart, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell it all to you in the future, in the short future, we're getting it all together so it makes sense to you. And it's not just the ramblings of my spirit. But we're just going to take the world, man. We're going to take Douglasville. We're going to take Atlanta. We're going to take the world. We're going to sit on this corner, man, 15 miles from Atlanta airport. We're going to take the gospel. We're going to train people, disciple people. We're going to have a place of healing. We're going to fill this place up with sick people, people who need hope. And I'm just going to tell you, come. You might have to stand on the walls sitting there. You may have to hang from the rafters. But I'm telling you, if you'll be passionate, because I can't do it by myself, But I pray that God will put the Spirit in you that will hurt for our world and hurt for our generation because what I just showed you, the end is coming. Whether it comes in my lifetime or not, it's still coming. And we need to make sure we get as many as we can to come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Well, that's enough preaching, right? Let me bless you. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for just giving us a joy tonight. Lord, my heart is just excited to see that you're looking from heaven and there's coming a day where we will actually be living revelation. Behold, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Oh God, let us get there. Let us be part of the generation that makes it and endures to the end. God, whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life, who we stand before you and hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. And God, that we find ourselves laying our crowns at your feet, honored to serve serve the king and kings where we can rule and reign with you forever lord jesus keep us pure keep us holy keep us excited for you with the power of your spirit now here's what i'd like you to do i'd like you to just take about you know 30 seconds of your own self and maybe you just need to have a moment with your father god maybe you've chased yourself maybe you've been quieter than you need to be quiet maybe you've been scared to say things You've been scared to, you know. I don't want to get, po- I don't want people to say something. I don't want to post that. That might hurt a feeling. I don't want to, I don't know. But, but if you just need, like me, to sit in my office today and just say to God, God, forgive me. I repent if I've just lost the fervor. I repent if I've lost the, the zeal of, of you coming back. Maybe you have that same prayer right now. And whatever that looks like in your daily walk, whatever that looks like in your 50 feet, that God would baptize you with a boldness, that He would baptize you with a word of hope and a word of life and a word of healing. In Jesus' name. Father, thank You tonight for what we've heard. We long for Your coming. But until You come, may You use us. And as I often pray, God, if You can use anything, You can use this oh boy. So God, we all pray that. If You can use anything, You can use me. And may I ever be so bold. If anybody comes across my path today that needs you, may I ever be so bold to lead them to you. And I give you thanks for it in Jesus' precious name. Can you say amen? Amen. Give the Lord a hand of praise. Hallelujah. Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there is anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Be sure to check back next week for a brand new message.